Our second reading this morning uh, comes to us from Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 21 through 23. Listen for God's word to you. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I am um, glad to be back. Um, I uh, had a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime trip up the uh, Alcan. Um, who knows, at, at least once-in-a-lifetime trip up the Alcan. It was beautiful, and I um, now have a better car to show for it, so, um, so I'm very happy about that. And I want to thank Marjorie and uh, Joel for making it possible for me to get some time away. So I'm grateful to be back. But I'm also grateful to be here because um, we're, we're coming to the conclusion of this series, which is itself the conclusion of a much longer series um, about the Sermon on the Mount. I began preaching the Sermon on the Mount um, in May of 2010, so I'm really excited about the thought that I'll be, I'll be uh, concluding it. And probably what you should do when you finish eight years on the Sermon on the Mount is probably start over again. But, um, but I have other, other plans that are equally compelling. So... Um, I'm looking forward to concluding the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the problems with, with stretching out a sermon like this, um, you know, Jesus probably spoke it in, you know, 15 minutes or something. I don't know what it would actually take to, to read it. But, um, uh, but uh, we get it in these little snippets on, on a Sunday and we, we don't see the, the big layout of it. And so when we get to the end, uh, it's hard to see it as being a very practical thing. It sounds kind of nebulous, kind of religious churchy stuff. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount is ex- extraordinarily practical. I mean, if you think back over the structure of it, and I, I know, you know, you can't think back over eight years. Um, I had to check myself what all was in there. But, but if you, if you look at it, um, and you can check this later today, um, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about important things. He's been talking about relationships. He's been talking about marriage and divorce. He's been talking about uh, people who are angry all the time. You know, maybe, maybe you know some people like that. He's been talking about how to, how to make sure that your prayers will be heard by God. He's talked about money. He's talked about uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts of life. He's talked about food and shelter and things like that. And he's talked about interpersonal relationships. He talked about not judging people. He's talked about um, how we should um, do unto others as we would have them do to us. So it's a very practical sermon. And I think what he's talking about today is very practical, even though it may come across as very very churchy, very kind of otherworldly. So what we're going to talk about today is Judgment Day. And this is the second part of what we began three weeks ago. And I realize you probably don't remember three weeks very well either. What Jesus talked about three weeks ago was, or what we heard Jesus talk about three weeks ago, was um, was false prophets. And he said, false prophets, um, that may not be seem like a real problem for you. Maybe you don't bump into them a lot. But he said, that's the problem, is you don't know them when you see them. They, they come to you in disguise. They look harmless. They look like, you know, cute little sheep, but they're actually ravenous wolves. And so Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. And he gave us a test. He said, he said, you can tell a false prophet by the, um, 
by the fruit that they, they bear in their lives. He said, figs don't grow on grapevines and grapes don't grow on fig trees. The way you can tell a false prophet is you look at their life. The, the evidence of their, of their prophecy should be in their life. And you can go back and listen to that online. But, but today we're going to talk about um, people who have fruit in their life. But we're talking about a related subject, not the same subject anymore, because Jesus has switched the topic now to Judgment Day. So Jesus is going to be talking about Judgment Day. And my guess is that lands a little harder on us than false prophecy, right? I don't know about you, but I think, I mean, you know, probably more me than you, but I think to myself, I'm not a false prophet, you know. That that guy we talked about last time, you know, the world's going to end on the 23rd of, of September. I'm not that guy, right? I don't have to worry about being a false prophet. I just, you know, be reasonably skeptical. And if somebody is you know, kind of talking one way and living another way, then I'm okay in the area of false prophets. But Judgment Day, you know, Judgment Day lands a little closer to home. Um, and partly it's because the, the popular culture has taken that, that word and kind of gone, gone to town with that. You know, it began in the Middle Ages. The, the medieval church kind of took that and really kind of uh, raised it up to, you know, a much higher level, maybe 11. And they, um, they really kind of conjured up this image of something you really want to avoid completely. Um, you know, for me, honestly, the first thing I think of when I hear Judgment Day is I think of a science fiction movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and killer robots from the future, okay, and a post-apocalyptic landscape. Maybe you think, maybe, you know, when you hear Judgment Day, you think of something else. I think a lot of people think of some kind of spooky religious movie, you know, where people's heads turn around on their shoulders and they, they say creepy things. And, you know, one way or another, I think Judgment Day has got a lot of baggage about how bad it will be. So what I want to do is I want to talk, first of all, about what it is. And second of all, um, I want to talk about whether this is kind of an FYI. I mean, you know, the, the false prophecy thing is really more of an FYI, I think, for a lot of us than it is something we need to really concern ourselves with as this is this me he's talking to. So is Judgment Day an FYI sort of message or does it concern us directly? So first of all, what is it? What is Judgment Day and does it concern me? So what is Judgment Day? I've got, I have a, I've got a diagram um, because Judgment Day is, a, is, is very complicated, and I tried to boil it down as simple as I can. Judgment Day is something that happens between the end of this age and the beginning of the age to come. Now, there are all kinds of fascinating details in between. Okay, um, we, we scratched the surface of them last summer when we, when we looked at Revelation for seven weeks, um, and there's, there's many books of Scripture that talk about what will happen at the end of this age. But the big idea is that there's two ages. There's the, the present age and there is the age to come. And Judgment Day happens in between. Um, and as for those fascinating details, well, you can read the Bible, or even better, you can go read many of the various people who have tried to piece it all together and come up with a chronology. You know, this will happen, and then and then the seal will be broken, and they try to sort that all out. So you can you can look into that if you want. But for us, it's enough to say Judgment Day is is associated with the beginning of the age to come. So why what's up with judgment though? Why not just kind of okay, you know, time proceeds, and you know, kind of. You, you know, you set your watch on a certain day and now we're at the age to come. Why do you need a judgment? And the reason is because the age to come is a different age. It is not simply a longer age. It is a different age. This age will come to an end. I mean, everybody agrees on that. You can go talk to an astronomer. He'll tell you about the, the heat death of the universe. This world, this universe is winding down. It is going to come to an end. But what about the age to come? Is it just going to be more of the same? 
Well, no, it's not going to be more of the same. It's going to be longer. It's going to be a world without end. Amen. It's going to go on forever. And that means it's going to be different in some way because it's not the kind of world that, that, that winds down. But it's different in another way, too. It's different because um, it is a better world. It's not just kind of, okay, now the same thing, the same war, the same violence, the same um, disease, the same famines. We're not going to have that all over again. Jesus has told us that the age to come will be a different world because evil will be gone. There will be no more crying or heartache. There will be uh, no more sources of pain and sorrow. And judgment day is how you make sure that happens because God will evaluate everything that is a part of this age and determine whether it is suited for the age to come. That's, That's the big idea of judgment, that God is going to look at everything in this age and say, would this work in the age to come? Or is it unsuited for the age to come? So that's that's what Judgment Day is all about. And so does it affect you? Well, only if you fall under the category of everything. So yes, it does affect you. Judgment Day is important to you because you're part of everything. And the question is, will you be suited for the age to come? And what makes it particularly troublesome is... Um, Jesus says that some people are not. He says that only uh, those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So he says that there is there is a criterion, um, which is which is obedience to the will of God. And not only that, but the criterion comes with a with a standard, which is you have to be perfect. He says you must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He said that back in chapter five. So Jesus has said this is a very high bar, um, and here's how you pass that test. Here's how you find out if you're suited for the age to come. You have to um, you have to uh, pass the test of doing God's will and to do it perfectly. And worse than that, right? If you, if that doesn't already kind of make you wonder, then then he says um, that some people are going to be surprised. Right? He says, some people will say, Lord, Lord, you know, what am I, Lord? Chopped liver. You know, look at all those miracles I did. Look at, look at the way I did all this wonderful stuff for you. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Be gone. So, yes, it concerns us, and there will be people who are turned away, and there will be people who are surprised to be turned away. So, that's the problem. But I have good news. I have, I have some really good news. And the good news is that you can pass. You can pass that evaluation. You can get into the age to come. And religious superstars aren't required. You don't have to be a religious superstar to pass that evaluation. So I want to look at, first of all, um, uh, the idea that you can pass. Well, if the standard is perfection, um, uh, the promise is you can nevertheless pass. Now, what about the religious superstars? Well, they, they told Jesus, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, it's not about the fruit. There's two reasons he says that. First of all, the fruit was, was a clue for this age. There are false prophets in this age. So what do you do? You look at the fruit of their lives to evaluate whether or not they are true prophets. So it is a temporary uh, concern for this age. So the, the idea of the fruit is, is, is serving a different purpose. He never said, never suggested 
that the fruit of our lives is the criterion that will be used to evaluate whether we're suited for the next life. But more than that, there's an idea here, which is where does that fruit come from? Is it because they just did it on their own, right? Can you, can you on your own, utter a prophecy? Can you perform a miracle? Can you cast out a demon on your own? The idea is that, is that anything we do, certainly anything along those lines, anything that would qualify us as a religious superstar, um, is something that comes from God. So why would you get, why would you get credit, at, you know, at some examination at the end of this age? Because you did the things that God did through you, right? We know from scripture there are people that that does not apply to. So for example, in the Old Testament, we read the Lord moved the heart of the, of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm. God works through imperfect people. I mean, ultimately, God works through people, which is to say imperfect people. There are, everybody who does a miracle in the Old Testament or the New Testament is an imperfect person except for Jesus. So God works through imperfect people. Should Cyrus pass that test? Well, as Christians, we are called to pray for our enemies, but there's nothing much in the, in the historical record that would make us think Cyrus will pass that test. I mean, he might. We are to have hope because God is a God of mercy. But if we look at the scriptures, there's not much to say that Cyrus was um, somebody who was submitted to God's authority. So the Lord does miracles. He released the Israelites from their captivity in, um, in Babylon. Another example, Caiaphas, the high priest who condemned Jesus, he uttered a prophecy. He said, it's better that one man should die for the whole nation to be destroyed and he did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophecy. John tells us that Caiaphas, the very man who caused Jesus to be arrested and executed, uttered a prophecy in doing so. So should he go up to the Lord someday and say, look, look, I prophesied. Prophecy is a weak, is a weak thing to lean on for that evaluation. Jesus says, it's not about the fruit. God can produce fruit in anyone if it serves God's purposes that there be fruit. So he says, you don't need to be a religious superstar. But more than that, you don't need to be religious. You don't have to go to church every Sunday. You don't have to tithe. I'd be happy if you did, but you don't have to. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to pray regularly. You don't have to read the Bible regularly. You don't have to belong to a small group. You don't have to be religious to pass the test. So if you were thinking, you know, well, I had to be a religious superstar, that's good news for you who aren't, for us who are not religious superstars, who don't cast out demons or perform miracles. But it's also good for us who are just kind of, I'm not so sure how good I am even as a Christian. I don't do all the things that, that I see some people doing. Uh, the answer is you don't have to be religious. So how do you do this? How do we resolve this, right? The standard is perfection. The standard is perfection in carrying out the will of God. How do we resolve this? The answer, of course, is you don't take the test. Right? We don't take the test. We have Jesus take the test for us. That is the gospel in a nutshell. We cannot pass the test. He spent chapter 5 and chapter 6 explaining to us you cannot succeed. If your strategy is to pass the test on your own, you're not going to succeed. Because even if you start right now and you get it right every second, night and day, until you die or until I return. What about the past? You've got, you've accumulated a debt. You cannot possibly succeed 
if the goal is to get through the test on your own. So he says, I'll take the test for you. And you can have my score credited to your account. So, sounds like a good deal. But, you know, if you're beyond about high school level, you start to think about, okay, well, you know, that's a, you know, cheating on the test is, is a good strategy for the short term, but, but what about the suited for heaven thing, right? Suited for the age to come. How is that going to work out? Because the truth of the matter is, I'm not really. I mean, not yet. I mean, I have hope that someday, by, with God's grace, I will be. But, but if I cheat on the test, first of all, doesn't that disqualify? And second of all, um, how does that make me suited for, suited for the age to come? Jesus has an answer for that. He says, he says that he is the vine. Where does the fruit come from? He is the vine. And those who remain in him will produce much fruit. He says, I'll take care of the fruit. I'll take care of the fruit. You will get there. I will carry you across the finish line. But you can't take the test yourself because you will flunk. So he says, you need to be in a relationship with me. But the best part of this passage today is it comes with a foolproof guarantee. So if you're a fool, and last night about 10, I was thinking I need a foolproof guarantee. The answer is this. See, Jesus already took the test. Right? We know what score he got. Jesus passed the test. You know, if you're in high school and you didn't study for the biology exam, right, and you look at the smartest person in your class and say, would you take it for me? That's still a gamble because you don't know what grade he got or is going to get. But Jesus has already taken the test and Jesus has passed the test. So why wouldn't you want to go with that arrangement? But also, he says he's the judge. Jesus is the judge. He says, I will reply, I never knew you. He talks about my Father in heaven. He's the arbiter of what is God's will. He says, I am the judge. And the judge can grant a continuance. Jesus will not judge you until you can pass the test, until you have produced enough fruit in your life that you can pass the test. And the fruit, of course, you get because you are in a relationship with him. But the last part of the guarantee is this. He says, he, he does this switch, right? You probably didn't notice it. I had to read this a couple of times before I noticed it because we've been talking all through the, all through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. And it sounds like heaven. It sounds like the age to come. But it's not. The kingdom of heaven, he said back at the end of chapter four, he said the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He says it's something we can have today. See, we don't have to wait until the end. We don't have to wait till the end of this age and the beginning of this next age and find out. We can have the kingdom of heaven today. He says the kingdom of heaven is available to us now. So you can start living it out. You can start producing fruit now to give you ever greater confidence that this is, in fact, a foolproof plan with a guarantee that's airtight. You can be a part of the kingdom of God today. So what I want to do is ask you this. If if the age to come doesn't sound good to you, you know, if you're uh, one of today's celebrity atheists, you know, and, you know, you're you're okay with, you know, the world's going to come to an end and I'm going to come to an end and I'm okay with that. If the If the thought of eternal life, if the thought of a world without pain and sorrow doesn't appeal to you, then this isn't a problem for you. But if it does appeal to you, 
if the thought of a world without end and a world without heartache does appeal to you, why would you push it out? Why would you wait until the end to get it? Why not take the offer today? So if you want that offer, it's available right now. And maybe you've already accepted it, but I'm going to ask you if you have. I'm going to, I'm going to um, say a prayer, and I can't pray it for you, but I can give you words, and you can echo them in your heart. And let me invite you to to join in this prayer, either as a as a refresher, as a kind of re- reminder of what you've done in the past, or um, or for the first time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I look forward to the coming age an age without sorrow and pain and evil. And I want to be suited for that age, for the kingdom of heaven. And I want you, Lord Jesus, to make me a part of that kingdom today. I want to have a relationship with you, and I want your life flowing in me, producing fruit and making me more suited for the coming age. You warned us, Jesus, to count the cost, and I recognize there is a cost, that no one can serve two masters, and that if you make me more suited for the age to come, I will be less suited for this age. You will make me stand out, and your life is evidence that people who stand out get pounded down. But you promise that you will see me through it. So, Lord, I ask you to enter my life and bear fruit in and through me and make me fit for your coming kingdom. I pray it all by the power of the Holy Spirit, in your holy name. Amen.